Welcome, welcome. What an episode we have in store for number nine out of 10 of this series. Dan Morissette is a prominent figure in the world of mental health and entrepreneurship. You may have seen him on Stephen Bartlett's The Diary of a CEO. He also hosts the highly successful Secret Leaders podcast, well worth checking out. And he started numerous successful companies in his relatively short time on this planet, including our sponsor of this series, Heights. During this conversation, I did plan to ask Dan all sorts of questions, but the conversation was so free-flowing, I probably didn't ask any of them that I'd written down, and we ended up going down some wonderfully interesting and insightful rabbit holes. The conversation meanders through Dan's own battles with mental health, and I thank him for sharing, of which there were actually quite a few. We talk about the importance of building our resilience, and also how to navigate high performance and our well-being. I really hope you enjoy. So Dan, welcome to the sofa. Yes, Thanks thank so you. Thanks for joining me. I'm so glad we found some time in both our schedules. Um, you've got a really interesting mental health story and journey. I wonder if you could just take us through that a little bit. Stop. Yes, sure. Um, so I think I could do it chronologically. I think I'm able to understand chronologically my mental health experiences. Um, I'd say up until... Is, no one's really asked me directly that question before, so I suppose not in that sort of way. So I guess up until 16 or so, fine. Um, insecure, but what teenager isn't insecure? For sure. Uh, but interestingly, you know, I grew up fat and I definitely had a thing around, you know, still do. If you grow up overweight and bullied about being fat, that just sticks with you forever. I think mm. it's really interesting. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, sure. Excellent book. All about trauma. Not at all suggesting I'm traumatized by my experience, but you know, you can't deny the fact that these stories, they don't leave you. And so it's very hard for me. My weight has fluctuated so much, uh, you know, since then. But it's very hard for me to ever actually feel happy with my body or weight. Like, whether it's rational or not rational, that's not possible. Yeah. Um, so in some senses, that's like a mental health experience. But what actually ended up happening was um, I had a, a form of bulimia, essentially, for quite a long time. Um, I Interestingly, it's not technically diagnosed as bulimia, so I just never made myself throw up. So I never put my fingers down my throat or anything, but I threw up all the time. Mm. Um, very regularly. I went to many, many doctors on my throat, my ENT um, specialists. And you know what? One day it just stopped. But we're talking about 10 years later. So right. we're talking about a very long time. A long period of time. You hear this throat doesn't sound, you know, so I sometimes sound in the morning um, when sadly I am meant sexy to be doing. Sexy horse voice. Very sexy horse voice. <laughs> but also sometimes I have to do secret leaders interviews. So my podcast, I have to do them sometimes first thing in the morning, like 8 a.m. Yeah. And... I mean, I really sound like I've been smoking like you've got a pack a special of bags. On. <laughs> it takes half an hour for this voice to warm up, and um, and it goes. All of that is related to uh, to to basically throwing up so much, eroding my throat. I ended up in hospital with a pneumomediastinum, wow. which is super niche, as you'll probably know. Yeah, hole in my throat is the translation. Yeah, air around. Correct. Sort of the middle. Correct. Part of your got body. a big head, <laughs> physically, literally, because um, air was going around my head not in my body. And so I was like inflated, I looked like Mr. Mackey on South wow. It was crazy. Um, and so I was in intensive care for a week, nil by mouth, which is horrible. Um, nil by mouth is actually such an interesting experience because you've never gone without water ever. I'm fasting and stuff before and all this stuff, but never not water for days. It's mm. mad. Um, so not much fun. No. Anyway, I would consider that a sort of mental health related experience. It's not directly mental health, but I think it all stems from this psycho psychological belief. And actually the problem was, you know, I would go to gastroenterologists and they would check me out and be like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I'd be like, there is literally something wrong with me because I, you know, I will vomit at some point today after I eat a meal. I won't make myself do it, but it is going to happen, mm. which isn't healthy. So it has to be something, but no one was ever able to actually physically identify a problem. Have you identified what you think that was in you? Do you think there was something psychological? I'm yeah, this is the thing. I, I, I never, like, I think I'm a very typical man, which is, you know, I don't know if it's a typical man or typical British or whatever, but, you know, I just didn't worry about it. Very stiff upper lip about it. Yeah, you know, it's like, I'll be all right. Well, it's more like, you know, and even though it's happening every day, I was like... I mean, it's kind of weird, but that's just me. Yeah. And maybe this is just me forever. And at best, I found it an inconvenient, 
you know, an inconvenience, which is ridiculous because it, you know, it's it's, an, it's quite. A, I know people who would think it is terrifying to throw up every day. Mm. Like, and, and it ended up being really serious, right? And it ended up being very serious. This is the thing because I didn't actually like give it the attention it really deserved. I ended up having to go to speech therapy. Um, wow. And all sorts because you know my voice box was completely screwed. So um, it did have bad downstream consequences that happened over years. But in fairness, you know I did try and go see medical professionals and they just shooed me off every time. So I never found the cause. And the only thing that was left in my head was like maybe this is entirely psychological. Excuse me. One day it just went. So as in I might still do it occasionally, but more from like an acid reflux point of view. But not like you know so occasional you couldn't really point your finger to why it happens. Mm. Um, so I considered that sort of the first experience with a manifestation in my body of a mental health um, belief, I suppose, yeah. or something deeply rooted in my psychology that isn't necessarily present and obvious to me at all, um, but is clearly there and clearly causing some harm. Mm. So, you know, that's not really a diagnosis, but I think more to the point, I went to see everyone and I didn't ever get a, a diagnosis and I ended up in intensive care. Yeah. Um, so... That's sort of one angle to, I suppose, mental health that is less talked about, but quite an interesting topic because sure. this is, again, I think, you know, the, the gut, the body, the brain, these things are so physically connected, yet we separate and them when we think about them. tons and tons of patients who never really get an answer and that, yeah. that modern medicine doesn't necessarily, things don't fall into pretty, pretty boxes. Totally. Um, and people slip through and then what is the knock-on effect on that on people's mental health you know you had one attitude which was stiff upper lip sort yeah. of thing yeah. that, you've, that you've described but other people it can really damage their mental health if they don't find answers and yeah. you can imagine how scary that can be for certain people yeah big time i mean my wife for example is just a massive uh she has such bad health anxiety in general nothing ever really wrong with her she's mm. actually fine um, generally speaking, a very healthy person, but she's such terrible health anxiety. Mm. Um, and if this ever happened to her, I mean, and didn't get a diagnosis, I mean, you know, it would be pretty bad. Yeah. She had all the well, MRIs well, and beliefs that she's had cancer and COVID a hundred times, you know, she didn't, I had COVID twice in the time she didn't have it, but she worried about having it like a mm. hundred times, you know, this, you know, my point being, I know people that live like this. Yeah. Um, it's like Lewis Capaldi. I don't know if you've seen him. He's, yeah. He has the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So she's very much like that, like <laughs> completely. I mean, you know, during COVID, she was, I mean, we lived in a, we might as well have run a surgery. I mean, it was just <laughs> like so sterilized. Every single piece of fruit, every yeah. single piece of plaster, every single My paper. My used to do that as well. I went, to, I, yeah. went, I went and I sat on a park bench, which I foolishly told her that I'd done. Um, on a walk you? in Regent's Park. And when I came home, she made me take all my clothes off. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is so OTT. And she's like, I don't care, you're not coming in unless you take them off. I'm like, I'm in the, I'm in the hallway. There's like other people here. She's like, just, I don't care, you have to take it all off. So it's like literally stripping down to my boxers in a hallway image. in a flat. That's so funny. Anyway, um, so point being, I understand different people have different responses to, to health and mental health. Um, my, um, and I think my attitude comes from my father. Uh, my father had so many health problems, so many. And very stoic, you know, and there were real health problems. He was in hospital yeah. the whole time with a multitude of like different things, not mental health, but physical health things. Mm. And actually what I took from him and his mental health was unbelievable mindset, incredible stoicism, not stiff upper lip for the sake of stiff upper lip, but pure resilience, the kind pure of resilience, resilience yeah. you have to have as a human being to get through real health problems. Sure. Um, otherwise, how do you cope? I think growing up, seeing that has its benefits and negatives. Negatives being I fall very much into the camp of um again very stereotypical man i would i would have a clear problem and ignore it mm. um assuming it'll go away because nine times out of ten it does mm. right like it does with all of us but I, that one time out of ten i would never catch it my wife nine times out of ten she would catch the one time out of ten yeah. that's the thing so yeah. I'm, not, I'm sure she's gonna outlive me yeah. yeah i'm sure she's gonna outlive me but i'm gonna <laughs> enjoy my years a lot more than she will because i'm not gonna worry about it the entire time um anyway so going back to mental health the more traditional ones the more traditional stories when my dad died we were best friends really really close i was depressed for quite a long time um and i didn't really know it at the time i only knew it when i didn't have depression anymore and i think this is an interesting reflection point a lot of what I've learned about my own mental health experiences is I've only realized I had that and that I felt that when it went away. 
in the moment, I kind of felt a little bit like, oh, this is just something I'm going through, or this is just part of the human condition, or I'm just in a bad mood. Mm. And I never got clinically diagnosed with depression, but like having read about depression so much now, I, I don't need to. Like I was textbook depressed um, in every kind of possible way, especially someone like me who is, I'm a very um, sunny side up, glass half full guy in general, and I always look at the positive side of anything. And also I very much focus on stoic mindset too. So, you know, when something bad happens to me, I'm like, you know, an instant thought is, could have been this, could have been that, I'm yeah. still here, I've got my health, you know, instantly. Mm. So my, you know, after my dad died, I was very, very moody, very obviously sad. I think, you know, again, normal, things to experience if yeah. a parent dies. It's funny, there's a little, uh, it's a gray area, isn't it? Because things are situational. Absolutely. And, you know, you get an appropriate response to something. Correct. Then it's when things carry on and, and completely yeah. change your life or really affect your life. No, you're so totally how, right. how long was your sort of timeline? For yeah, that? so about six months. So quite a long time yeah. for me. And, and I actually say this to everyone that I talk about with depression when I'm trying to understand, because I've never had, um, I mean, I don't know what's the, like, so if I had situational depression, which I did, and as I say to everyone, you know, it's like I had situational depression, but it's, you know, highly rational. Yeah. You know you're in a funk. You wonder why you're in a funk. Oh, yeah, that's why I'm in a funk. <laughs> so it's not really concerning to you. It actually kind of feels like uh, in an important process to go through. It's like you're grieving properly. Yeah. Um, and so it's not really alarming to you. But when it doesn't go away, you're a bit like... Uh, okay, this is lingering way beyond what, what steps is. can I take? Yeah. You know, maybe the normal things I do in my day to day aren't going to amount to that change that you need. Maybe exactly. that's, that's the thing uh, that we need to learn from that. Exactly. And I think, you know, the thing with depression and grief is it's very hard to understand where grief ends and depression starts and vice versa. So, mm. you know, there isn't really like permission or a moment where you're like, I'm going to re-enter society now past <laughs> my grief and happy again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You just sort of have to wait it out. Mm. Um, for me, I mean, that period just took so long. It really took me by surprise. However, again, you know, I challenge a lot of people who are close with their parents passing away not to feel depressed for a long period of time. How long that period of time should be, who knows? Yeah. So mine was six months and I guess, you know, that again... Mm. Only after the fact, when I started to feel like myself again, did I think, did I look up depression? And then I was like, wow, okay, yeah, that was like textbook stuff. Couldn't get out of bed. Mm. Um, what year? Didn't want to talk to anyone. What year was this? 2013, 20, yeah, I think 2013. Okay. I'm just really interested in like, you are obviously so clued up in the mental health space and mm. you obviously know a lot. And I guess what you're saying is your learnings came quite at, like sort of after that period. Yeah. But I just wonder for, for how often people don't realise that they're in this funk, this depression, you know, how obvious it is when maybe you're in it. Mm. Do you just not quite realise that you are depressed? Like, where is that, that yeah. line? I just think it's a really interesting point. I think what's really complicated, like unbelievably complicated, and I don't really understand how we get out of this cycle. It's like trying to think about, you know, how I'm trying to structure this, this thought. So resilience is really important. And... I think being resilient is the single most important life skill. Like, that's my personal view. There's many things to pick from in the plethora of things that could be the number one most important. Yours might be very different. Mine is resilience, probably influenced by my dad. I've just made a course for young mm. people on building resilience. So right. I'm pretty much in your camp there. Right. So I think it's an essential life skill. Um, what that means sometimes is you have to experience your human emotions and instead of capitulating to them into like, a ball of frustration and uselessness, sit with them and wonder why you're feeling that way and not let them over consume every part of you, whether or not they're natural or not natural or chemically induced or like, or situational caused by other people. This is very complicated stuff. And what I find, just to uh, close this thought, what I find complicated is um, how to communicate or how to help people, especially young people, understand the difference between, uh, you know, learning about and experiencing mental health and not ignoring the symptoms entirely, which is very different to feeling a bit iffy and a bit off and a bit basically soft because life has been easy to you and this is the first time you've had to mm. chat, uh, deal with any rejection or anyone feeling anything and you just, you know, you need to take a mental health day because, like, you know, I just can't handle. And it's like, that's just, that's not going to help you actually 
learn how to really deal with mental health problems. Yeah. And the problem is no one is inside someone else's head. So who mm. is to say that that person is or isn't actually experiencing that thing? No one knows. Only life, only repeating these life experiences and looking back, comparing them and getting a sense for yourself on where you were on that scale is really possible to understand these things. Mm. Sure. And I can, I can add to that complication with a little bit of sort of evidence of what I've heard recently going into schools is that some children now feel like if they don't have a mental health problem, they are the weird one. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's kind of crazy to think how yeah. much that does, I shouldn't, I shouldn't that, laugh, but I can actually imagine that. It, yeah. There's such a 360. But that, I think, really adds to what you're saying there. Mm. You don't, you're never in someone else's head. You don't ever want to discredit someone. Yeah. But also you've got to educate our young people on the difference between sitting with natural emotion. Yeah, life is really horrible sometimes. Mm. and it's Especially feel, at the moment. Yeah, it's going to feel tough. Yeah. Um, and so you need to let them feel those feelings and work their way through them because that's how you build resilience mm. and that's how you become the person that you want to become. But at the same time, how do you give them the know-how to deal with actually yeah. that's just their brain playing tricks on them and actually they are worthy and um, yeah. they don't need to be anxious, anxious and in that situation. It, and you look at something like at the USA, you know, where everyone has ADHD and if you don't have ADHD, you're a weirdo. And it's like, you know, that's just... You know, whether it's true or not, because of course it might be because of society, because of diet, because of all of the things that have happened over the last 15, 20 years for social media and everything else. All those things might well be true. And, you know, who am I to judge if that is or isn't? Mm. But it does start to be you start. To, it's a very strange place to be when you start to feel like you're in the minority because you, you don't have ADHD or you don't have any kind of like mental disposition to explain you're not dyslexic, you're not dyspraxic, you don't have ADHD, you don't have one of these sort of diagnosed symptoms. And again, I'm not suggesting that these things aren't real, but can you imagine 20 years ago, like none of these things, I mean, maybe they weren't diagnosed, maybe more people had them, I'm sure that's true too. Mm. However, um, doesn't surprise me what you just said, for example, that people mm. feel like if they're not depressed or not anxious, then they've yeah. got a problem. Maybe they probably sit there and think, maybe I'm not empathetic. Yeah. I can't feel the problems from the world. It's yeah. like, no, you probably can. It's okay. Yeah. I think mental toughness and mental resilience is something very important um, to try and teach. I think the big problem is like, how do you teach that? Like in my experience, you know, resilience is something you learn through choosing to run through walls and go through hard stuff. It's actually why being a doctor or being an entrepreneur, you know, very helpful life choices because people just say no all the time. I always say to people, you know, great career is going into sales. You want to learn some base level go resilience that doesn't break your bones. <laughs> yeah. I worked in a call center. It was my first job. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I say insurance in a call center. It's just no, 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 no. Like a hundred times a day. Um, it's an amazing way to just, it's an amazing way to build up some base level of resilience um, without, you know, you're not in the army, you're not getting mm. shot, you're not getting hurt physically. I mean, those are real ways to build resilience. This is just like some emotional setback. And mm. I think that stuff is really helpful for me. Mm. That's interesting. And certain therapists for people that have no, no confidence and no resilience and can't take rejection or fear mm. of rejection, mm. they will get you to go and do like, the most silly thing first that I'll get you to go and ask for someone's socks because they know you're going to say no. Yeah. So you walk up to a random person's street and say, please can I wear your socks? And they say no. You know, and it, I think even just silly things like that like can be really useful for mm. people. Like Obviously, it, I wouldn't be teaching that at a school setting, but it's how do you build in these sort of practical examples mm. for young people. Mm. Firstly, I think as well, it's to develop awareness of they have to push themselves out of their comfort zone. You yeah. have to go and do things yeah. and then give people practical examples of, you know, how do you build the confidence? Yeah, it is obviously possible to just be in your bubble forever. Like it, it is possible to avoid resilience and to avoid conflict and to avoid hard times for the most part. Like I do believe that's a possible thing to do. Um, I also think that sometimes people that live that way might actually have a lot better mental health in general than a lot of us that try and strive and do more and want more and all this kind of stuff. They're probably at their baseline happier because they literally understand who they are and that they want to avoid these things and they've chosen to avoid those things mm. and they're perfectly comfortable with that. So there's an angle to that where maybe they just have so much self-awareness and they're protecting themselves that it's okay. The problem, obviously, is at some point something bad will happen to them because you can't yeah. cheat death and someone will die around them, whether it's a parent or a family member. You can't avoid those things. Yeah. So. And therefore, you're less likely to be able to come back and, and respond not, yeah. in the right way. Yeah. Um, so you had your period of depression. You yes. obviously had your earlier time that you mentioned with the potential sort of bulimia. Yeah. And then 
I believe you had some other issues that led you into sort of more of your business venture. Yes. So the one thing I would say is, you know, I had burnout, um, which I think is, you know, I look back on my burnout experience and just think that um, for want of better phrasing, like I got what I deserved. Um, (laughs) I just had no limits to how passionate I was, but also no limits to the common sense of what one should do in a healthy... I mean, I was just an idiot. I was just, you know, working as close to 24-7 as you possibly could. And on reflection, you know, how much of that can be productive? Not a lot of it. Some of it, but not a lot of it. And with very diminishing returns. So um, I had burnout, which was a super interesting experience, actually. Um, The most obvious thing that happened was just like like major from one day to the next major apathy uh so just not caring about my business anymore wow. or anything for like a and week the change right that yeah. must have been drastic it's like night and day which is so interesting it's literally like some flick has gone in your in your <laughs> switch has gone in your head bizarre um and just a real energy drain so i mean i just couldn't get out of bed one day and that was it. I was just in bed for like a week, pretty much. Just like miserable, grumpy. I was like, is this flu? Do I have flu? But no flu symptoms. Mm. Just sleeping the whole time. Um, I just didn't care. Like I was getting emails on my mobile phone. You know, I could answer that. I couldn't even answer an email. Interestingly, I got COVID really badly in February 2020. So before anyone really knew that it was yeah. COVID. And, um, but I went, I was in hospital. So I had to go on a ventilator and everything. And even at UCL, they were like, nah, it's not COVID. Don't worry about it. It's probably not a thing. Because it was before it became a real obvious thing. Um, and so, but I was struggling with my breathing and everything else. Anyway, so I was really sick for like three weeks um, with COVID. And um, that was a very similar feeling to burnout. Yeah, wow. Interesting, almost identical, the symptoms, minus I actually had flu symptoms then. Yeah, yeah. But the mental feeling was identical because I couldn't. Yeah, and I couldn't, and I just started Heights. Um, so we were like a month live with customers, it was just me and my co founder, no employees. And I just couldn't even answer an email. And I was just like, Joe, oh, I'm so sorry. I just can't. And it's just like, <laughs> go away. And yeah. it was like, you know, forced apathy through energy, like through a lack of energy. So it was, I found that interesting as someone that's experienced burnout and COVID, um, extens- extreme COVID. Um, anyway, so I've had burnout. I lasted about a week, but I learned my lesson um, and had to, you know, gradually regain my energy and passion, actually. Um, and then the other thing we're saying is, you know, generalized anxiety. And I say generalized anxiety because I am a big believer, this isn't mental health advice, But I'm a big believer in, I think most entrepreneurs have a form of anxiety and I, and you know, a lot of other industries too, but I can only speak to my own industry because I can only speak of my own experiences. Um, But I think a lot of entrepreneurs have anxiety because they're spending a lot of time thinking about the future. And if you spend a lot of time thinking about the future, that is exactly what the the symptoms of anxiety are. Mm -hmm. If you are practicing every single day, the thing that is the quintessential summary of what anxious thoughts are, Mm. you're going to create that. Practicing them, basically. Totally. You're going to create that experience in your body. Because you're thinking of different scenarios, right? And you're thinking, okay, if I do this... They don't exist. Yeah. If I do X, Y may happen. But also Y may happen. And then, you know, you only have to go a certain, you know, distance away from that for it to be a negative one. Totally. You know, usually they are, right? Because we're thinking of what can go wrong, so what can I fix? Yeah. Correct. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Eckhart Tolle says this so well, but he basically says, um, you know, the, the difference between, uh, like, basically, you know, the difference between now and thinking about the future is there is no future. You can only ever exist in the now. So essentially stress, which is formed from that concept, like the stress of anxiety is a symptom of being here, but wanting to be there. Mm. And seeing as you can never be there, you're living in a make-believe situation that defies reality. Mm. And it is that pure defying reality that's causing stress and anxiety because it can never change. You can never make it change. You'll always only be now. And I I really relate to that because, Mm. um, you know, you can't cheat physics. You can't cheat the fact that, you know, there is no time machine. I'll never be there. I'll only ever be here. Yeah. So I'm just forcing myself into these ridiculous thoughts and this, this pattern that doesn't serve me. Yeah. However, pretty natural thing for entrepreneurs to go through. So then when I think about, you know, uh, anxiety and generalized anxiety, like <clears throat> I say, I think that's a very common thing. However, I have also experienced chronic anxiety and that's super different. 
um, haven't had it in like, I think years, if I really think about it now, but I was having it regularly at a period of time, and this was the same time as my insomnia. So of all the things I've gone through in my life from a mental health point of view, mm. insomnia was by far the worst experience. Wow. Um, and I think that's because after a period of time, the, you just believe it will never end. Mm. So therefore you believe that that is your new life now. But it's also because when I had insomnia, I'd already experienced a bunch of different mental health experiences and I'd learned a little bit about myself, right? I'd learned that I'm a complex human. I'm gonna have mental health experiences. Some will be good, some will be negative. Obviously mental health is a spectrum. It's not just bad, so it all sounds bad, but you know, there are positive mental health experiences like euphoria and there's negative mental health experiences like depression. Mm -hmm. And they sit at different ends of the scale and experiencing the negative ones enough to understand I am who I am and I have a bit of a toolkit. I like my stoic philosophy. I like my Eckhart Tolle. I'm really into spirituality, you know, mindfulness, terrible at meditating but i try mm. practice some breath work you know yeah so i you know have these tools they don't all work but like i'm willing to like you know just keep going at it because practice makes perfect and all that um, you also clearly have a like a great awareness of well, yourself there and i think you, that's a huge point yeah and uh, you know you have to learn on the go and each one of these things is 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 stressful to go through and it's really horrible personal human experience because you also never know when it's going to end so there are two approaches, obviously. One is to just let these things happen to you. And then the second is to say, okay, I'm really experiencing these things right now. They're negatively impacting my relationships, my sense of self-worth, my work productivity, which embarrassingly as an entrepreneur is very high on my list of things that matter <laughs> to me. Um, and, you know, if anything gets in the way of my work, because I care so much about work and I care and I'm passionate, like I'm just a passionate person. Mm. And even though this isn't healthy, this is not a healthy mindset to you know, we were talking just before the interview, right? It's not healthy to put a sense of purpose and self related to work. It's not a healthy mindset. However, it is what I do and I'm working on it. Mm. Um, but because these things are important to me, when my own mental health experiences get in the way of all this stuff, you know, it's time to reflect and say, okay, what can I do to make this better? So that self-awareness comes from experience. Mm. Um, it's not like I had one and then suddenly became Gandhi and was like, right, well, I totally understand my inner self at this point. It's like, yeah, no, I tried, sure. tried and failed loads of things. Uh, but when I had insomnia, I was very, very, very proactive because I'd never had it before. Um, and I was very proactive about trying to solve it. So symptoms were I'd go to sleep at midnight. So commonly, uh, you know, a common misconception about insomnia is it's just no sleep whatsoever. My symptoms were I went to sleep at midnight, but I woke up at 2 a.m. every day and it was like clockwork. 2 a.m. Wow. on the dot, random, don't know why, but 2, 2 a.m. every night, no matter what I did. The reason I go to sleep at midnight is because you know, I was trying to go to sleep earlier, but too much adrenaline, too much excitement, too many thoughts going around in my head. But at some point, you peak, you flop, you're just completely dead, and then the cycle starts again about two hours later. So um, that went on for a couple of weeks. And after a couple of weeks, I was pretty proud of myself because actually this wasn't getting in the way of my productivity. This was helping my productivity. I was waking up at 2 a.m. I was going work. into the living room. I was starting my work day. Eight hours of work before work starts. I'm a hero. Can't wait for how much work I can possibly do. I was genuinely quite excited about it. Um, but after a couple of weeks, you start to feel, you know, that... Not just that this isn't healthy, because what's interesting is, you know, my symptoms in the first couple of weeks, I was having more energy. So when I should have lulls and I should have all these problems, et cetera, et cetera, that wasn't really happening. My body, for whatever reason, was, mm. was finding energy and resourcefulness elsewhere. So I was really thinking this is working for me. <laughs> this is like a magical superpower. And I'd be yeah. thrilled, honestly, wow. if I could sustain that. Become insomnia man. Totally. Uh, you know, you read about these, uh, these heroes of entrepreneurship, your Bill Gates, your Steve Jobs, your Elon Musk, you know, they sound like they never sleep ever. So I'm like, this must be what like destiny feels like. Maybe I am meant to be them and this is what happens first. Anyway, uh, a good example of like toxic entrepreneurship yeah, is definitely, definitely. Not, definitely not true. Um, but that was 100% sincerely, that was 100% what I thought uh, at the time. Uh, so sleep deprivation, I reckon. Yes, quite possibly, right? Yeah, <laughs> just turned into mania. Um, so I, after a couple of weeks, started to feel really bad mm. and very anxious. Not chronic, but very anxious. And so I, I went to see a doctor. The doctor basically recommended me sleeping pills, which is kind of what I thought he would do anyway. But whatever. Um, I also asked the psychiatrist and all this stuff. So. 
over the period of, and it's worth saying this happened for six months, over the period of six months, I went to see GP, I went to see a psychiatrist, a therapist, sleep therapist, um, and uh, I went to see a, um, oh, and I had, I had an MRI scan as well. So, you know, a neurologist, mm. you know, so I went to see like a variety of different people. Yeah. Um, no one basically told me anything useful. Um, it's not that like everyone wasn't helpful, so to speak, or caring. They mm. were. But interestingly, they all focused on the same thing, which is, you know, there may be a chemical imbalance here or there might be something in your psyche that's like deep rooted or whatever. So let's work through these things. And mm. just... I did all of the things, you know, and I was also meditating and I was still going to the gym and exercising. So none of these things were like obvious misses. And after about six months, I went for dinner with a friend and she was like, have you seen a nutritionist or a dietitian? And I was like, no, I've not even mm. like thought yeah, of why that. Should I? Yeah. yeah, why would I do that? She's like, well, I mean, you're, you, you basically, she was like very logical, right? She's, she said something which I thought was extremely poignant that no medical professional had said to me. And by the way, she's not one. She just said, well, you're just telling me you've tried everything for your psychological inputs. So your brain is obviously a physical organ and your mind is psychology, but your brain is physical. So, you know, if you haven't tried anything biological that might help it, maybe you should. And mm. I was like, that's quite an interesting way to put it. Hadn't thought of it. Okay. And anyway, we went to the dietitian. She was, I mean, it helped that I was able to say, this is all the stuff I've already done, right? It's not like I'm Definitely. suggesting you can go to a dietitian with a clean slate and they're like, nutrition's going to solve your problem. I mean, how would they know? But having said, I've already done all of these things. She was like, well, this definitely sounds like you've got a nutritional imbalance in that case. Here are some supplements I recommend. And that was the most triggering thing I'd ever heard because it didn't take supplements ever. I was very skeptical, but I'm English. Very skeptical, <laughs> not, not just someone who, like, I think firstly it's worth saying, I'm not just skeptical about supplements. I'm skeptical about many things um and because again i'm english i'm cynic i'm just naturally cynical like we all are it's in the bones it's in the bones um and even though i'm an open-minded person i do need the science to really believe things that's how i am mm. and so what was really interesting to me is my experience of supplements and stuff had kind of been either dickhead supermodels flogging me stuff on posters or like annoying influencers like no one really credible had talked about supplements to me before so it was just kind of like i wouldn't even engage yeah. full stop this was someone who was a medical professional working through the nhs explaining what a dietitian was which i'd never heard of before and incidentally you know basically working with sick people through food and diet who knew <laughs> i mean i didn't um and so and then there's this woman like, you know, giving me uh, supplements, but like my problem was with my sleep and my brain. So like, it's very hard to connect all these things. Like why do they matter and how do they connect? But also desperate, did it, cause I was doing everything else anyway. Mm. And within three, four days, sleeping all night for the first time in absolutely ages and sleeping so well consistently thereafter. And when I told her about my experience, she was like, not like, you know, I was very thankful and I was very like, you know, but she's, you know, save my life is a bit extreme, right? But that's kind of how it feels yeah, at the time. Six months of insomnia, though, it's the worst mental health thing you went to. You yes. must have been really. At, yes, you know, and I felt really work. so grateful and I was very, very, very uh, OTT with my gratitude around it. And she was very, like, almost annoyed because she's like, this is like literally bread and butter for my job. Yeah. This is like so obvious. Simple. And with your story, I'm just so irritated because you've been to see every other profession and no one recommended diet at any point. No one said go see a nutritionist or a dietitian. It doesn't even factor in. So it's not their fault. It's just not trained because there's no connection to their stuff. And well, I was, yeah, I felt personal experience. I think I've even said it on the podcast before, uh, last episode with Jeffrey Bodie, he's, he's into nutrition, he's a nutritionist. Um, and we did very, very little at medical school nutrition, if anything. And I know there's a big push. A couple of friends of mine are with Nutritanker trying to start a lot of stuff, getting nutrition into the curriculum. I think Dr. Rupi does as well. Mm, yeah. So there's a lot, there is a big push there, but it's like, I feel like, you know, undereducated from a nutrition perspective. I anything had... I'd be able to talk about on this podcast would be from my own knowledge. Totally. Really. I had lunch with a friend today who's, who's doctor, and he told me that he had one, one lecture in seven years. Mm. It's mental. Mm. I've had more than one lecture and I literally don't know anything about medicine. <laughs> so I, I find it so fascinating. Anyway, there is a really interesting disconnect. Brain, body, 
mental health, nutrition, these are just worlds apart. You don't connect them. You think if you have something wrong with your mental health, you go to a psychologist, a neurologist, a neuroscientist, a therapist, like you name it. There are buckets, I think. Anyway, speaking from personal experience, there are buckets that you associate professional person I would trust with this information and mental health slash brain. And, you know, in the same way as, you know, you break your foot, you're not thinking about going to a therapist, mm. right? So you have these ideas very clearly about who has the authority and responsibility to actually tell you what to do. Yeah. And nutritionist or dietitian does not factor in there as far as I'm concerned. That Really, you only think about them if you want to lose weight or you have a chronic condition, you know, like IBS or something with your gut. So this was just all such news to me. And the fact that it worked just took me down the biggest rabbit hole, as you might imagine. Mm. Um, like I said, I like evidence, I like science. So it was more when I found that actually there's endless science to this <clears> stuff. Yeah. Um, this is not, you know, this is not new. It's not surprising at all if you work in nutrition or, or you know, anything to do with food. None of this is surprising at all. It's just evidence. Yeah. Um, that just seemed like an amazing opportunity for me. Uh, that was an area that I really felt like I wanted to work in, right? The job is education and bringing this to the masses, like this information about how nutrition can impact mental health. Mm. So that kind of experience was really like why and how I started Heights. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It is, it is a really cool journey. And I wonder, it's kind of obvious in some ways, right? We are, we are machinery, biological machinery. Yep. And if you're not fueling that right, things are probably going to go wrong. Yeah. So uh, the more we learn about this, this cross-connection between the mind, body, gut, the more it's going to make sense. And I, I find it really interesting. You never did any blood tests or anything like that to f- sort of work out what you were deficient in? Not beforehand. before. I've done since. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> inter- like really interestingly, beyond my own experience and my own blood tests, what's more interesting is we've done blood tests on general population at heights. Um, and... Everyone in our group, this is, so we've done tests on people that are Heights customers and, um, and people that weren't Heights customers and taking no supplements. And, you know, the first time we did this, we learned that even, even with Heights people were still deficient in vitamin D, which is really interesting to us because we were like, we put in a lot of vitamin D, like we were really surprised about that. A hundred percent of people in our control group, which were uh, both omnivore and vegan were still deficient. So we like, you know, considerably upped our dosage after that. But wow. it's fascinating because we were putting in beyond like the RDA, which obviously, you know, the NRV, um, mm. but is also quite an outdated concept from the 70s that actually, you know, there's a fun story, which is that NRV of recommendation for vitamin C and the whole general population um, is based on research around preventing scurvy which is like not really something people get anymore. <laughs> so it kind of needs to be updated. There's a lot of that in nutrition science, as I've learned since, mm. which is like there's modern day best practice if you actually test for this stuff or there's generalized information, which comes from a very outdated medical system. Anyway, part of that uh, story there is everyone was deficient in B1, B2, B3. That is really interesting because people hear about people being deficient in B12 all the time vegans vegetarians very deficient in b12 if you're vegan or vegetarian you have to take a b12 supplement like that is a really important thing otherwise you can experience psychosis so very relevant to mental health um again well-known connection there to what is the outcome of not taking b12 a vitamin nutrient deficiency Mm. psychosis a mental health problem yeah um and one that can be reversed by starting to take a B12 supplement, which is so, you know, so that the information, the connection, the direct correlation direct with those link. steps is all there, yet obviously no, everyone keeps it all separate. Um, anyway, that's well known. B1, B2, B3, again, last time people checked these things was in the 70s. The nutrition information has not been updated. 100% of our participants were deficient in, in all three. So. Again, it's really interesting doing the blood test and realizing, you know, actually where people are deficient in general diets, you know, what we're really not, not getting to the nth degree and actually how important it really is to make sure, like you say, that you're giving your brain and body the fuel that it needs. Like ultimately, everything you do on a day-to-day basis, thinking, working around, you know, pollution, screens, stressors, any kind of thing like that is going to deplete your energy. And your brain is your most energy intensive organ. It's small, but it takes up 20% of your energy and blood supply. So, you know, feeding it fuel to thrive is actually quite a logical 
next step if you value the importance of the things that you're doing in mm. a day and you don't want to end up feeling absolutely terrible. Mm. I think there's a really interesting thing about prevention, right? Which is, and I totally understand it because I am the idiot. Um, <laughs> I had to go through a lot before I even took an interest. Mm. And I totally get it. I really do. Do you know what I mean? Part of me as an entrepreneur is like so irritated. I'm like, why don't people care about this? And then I'm like, oh yeah, wait, I mean, that was me. Yeah. And that's the problem. Until you have lived experience. Absolutely. It's the same with everything, right? And same with resilience, right? And this is the problem. You can teach resilience, means nothing. Literally means nothing to teach someone resilience. It's really hard. And I think that comes down to lots of different factors in our sort of psyche, but you've got to ping that emotion. You've got to, like, you have to feel emotion yeah, for you to really engage with something that you're going to then care about and change your behavior on. Yeah. And that's why it comes into, like, behavior change, right? Like, until you really want to do something, it's really hard to think yourself into doing something differently. Uh, absolutely. But as soon as, like, something big happens and you have, like, that emotion attached to it, you'll change instantly. Mm. It's amazing that, mm. like, little change that happens. So this series, I've been lucky enough to partner with one of my favorite brands, Heights. In an ideal world, we would all eat a diverse, nutritionally complete diet that ensures we meet all of our nutritional requirements. However, if you're anything like me, you'll know that life likes to get in the way and that's not always possible. That's where Heights and their Smart Supplement comes in as the best insurance policy for looking after me and my brain. The Smart Supplement consists of just two easy capsules taken every day and has been formulated by neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart and dietitian Sophie Medlin. The all vegan capsules are packed with 20 essential vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and healthy fats, which are designed to support your brain, nervous system, immune system, and even your sleep. I personally noticed an improvement in my focus, boosting my energy levels. I'm more motivated than ever on my goals, and I even make it to the gym more often when I take heights. So if you want to get started with brain care, Heights are giving all of my listeners a 15% off your first quarterly subscription with the code STRAIGHTTALKING. Head to yourheights.com and use the code STRAIGHTTALKING and start taking care of your brain and body today. You've sort of answered why someone should take a brain care supplement in mm. your last answer, but I'd love you to sort of summarise a little bit about what Heights do, what's involved with it, um, what your sort of ethos is, and, and why someone should invest in, the, in their brain care. Yes, very fair question. I think the first most important thing to say is... Everything in the Smart Supplement you can get from food. And so if you can get it from food, you should get it from food. I'm too lazy to get it from food and quite a lot of specific things. Um, it's also quite hard if you're vegetarian. So, and, and the main reason is because the, I, I think the number one most important thing that's in a Smart Supplement is the Omega-3s. So, good point. We have a prop here. Um, so the... I mean, as you can see, the bottle here, the bottle design is designed on purpose because it helps you keep a healthy habit. So what's very hard in general, like you said, you know, behavior change yeah. is getting people to start a habit and keep a habit. And one of the things that we learned is most people that actually try supplements, you know, either don't feel benefits within the time frame that they wanted to feel the benefits and they also sit in a supplement cupboard, they just get out of the habit. Out of the habit, you don't really restart the habit. It takes a trigger, a change, a reason to start the new habit. So consistency is the single most important thing. Um, as a brand, how we designed consistency was two ways. One, like I say, is in the bottle. And then the second is the capsules themselves. So it's two capsules a day, and they're very unique because on the, I'm gonna manhandle your, your capsule mm, now, I'm so very good. sorry. But on the outside, we've got um, vitamin, sorry, we've got omega-3s. So it's the oil. So let's see if I can show that to some camera, or you can. So yeah, on the outside, we've got this oil and on the inside is injected the actual vitamin with the, with the different minerals. Um, why that's so unique, again, is because um, when you are taking vitamins without food, sometimes, uh, well, most of the time, they're not bioavailable. So what that means is they don't really get dissolved into your bloodstream and so they don't get the benefits. Um, that's because there's no fat and omega-3 is fat. Yeah. So the fact that you're actually taking omega-3s with the vitamins helps it all absorb. And we've done multiple tests to like prove this. And we have a patented capsule, which all sounds a bit OTT, but the entire point is most vitamins are full of poor, cheap ingredients in cheap, crappy capsules that actually don't ever reach your, your bloodstream or gut or anywhere they're meant to. So people will say, am I having an expensive Wii? And the answer is like, yeah, you basically are having an expensive <laughs> Wii. When we started 
uh, heights, you know, because we did not know anything about the nutrition space. We worked with two really brilliant people, our chief science officer, Dr. Tara Swart, who's yeah. a neuroscientist who has a PhD in neuropharmacology. So what's really helpful is she does understand the, the relationship between the brain and nutrition. And also Sophie Medlin, who's a really great dietitian, mm. who has lots of experience and expertise in the gut. So also the gut-brain axis and how these two interlink. So as two people can help explain what the best-in-class product would look like, what it would do and how it would work, they were just phenomenal in helping us understand yeah, yeah. how to design a product. Um, anyway, so we have omega-3s on the outside. And then on the inside, there's a whole array of essentially 20 minerals and nutrients, but... They include B vitamin complex, which is super important because we're talking the B1, B2, B3, B12, um, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc. Um, but the one that I think is the most interesting personally is blueberry extract. And the reason why that's so interesting is because uh, it's essentially an antioxidant called anthocyanin. Um, what uh, antioxidants do is they clean out the glymphatic system of your brain. Um, so what Tara describes it as is, you know, it's like when you go to sleep, you're having a car wash for your brain. Yeah. Which I think is a really nice analogy, but it's essentially, obviously... Mopping up the free radicals, right? Correct. Yeah, the exact words I was going to use took it out of my <laughs> mouth. So correct, right? So it's, it's, it's literally cleaning up your brain. Um, and that's also really important. The other reason why blueberry is so interesting is we have the equivalent of 25 blueberries in every single daily dose. So it's two capsules a day. Between the two, it's 25 blueberries. Um, I still eat about 20 blueberries a day on top of that because it's the one brain thing that I'm really militant on because blueberries are so good for the brain. Mm. There's just so many powerful benefits. Problem is, they're like literally the most expensive, bougie, bloody fruit. It's like being told <laughs> that avocados are the best thing for you. Like, why isn't it bananas or yeah, something? Why isn't a humble apple <laughs> the best thing for my brain? It's always the most expensive. Yeah, but anyway, so my blueberry habit is probably my biggest extravagance, I would say. Um, so this is very time, uh, it's money saving opportunity here. If you just you know can't can't put all your budget onto blueberries, um, but anyway, the reason why this is all helpful. So omega threes. Um, particularly DHA, 60% of your brain is made of fat. 90% of that fat is the compound DHA. Mm -hmm. So the majority of your brain functions on and is made of DHA. And it's super important to keep feeding your brain that. So you probably are very well aware of this, but everyone pretty much, their brain is growing until they're 25 and then it starts to decline. Now that is like all information, terribly shocking and horrifying if you choose for it to be or massively motivating and a great opportunity to maintain it and improve it if you choose to hear it that way too yeah, kick up the ass <laughs> right absolutely and i think like all information right you can be a victim to the information or you can like take that as a moment a chapter in your story and something like that created a sense of change like okay i'm gonna look after myself now that mm. i know this thing so you know when i first heard that i was like that is insane like i'm you know i'm 29 at the time i can't believe my brain's already depleting we're talking about such slow decline you know it's not alarming at mm -hmm. all but the point is by feeding your brain what it does need on a biological level you are essentially maintaining the the growth and size of it so just and this is the thing with with the story of the brain and how nutrition affects it we already know the stuff to be true with our bodies you know that if you want to body build you'll just eat more and you'll eat protein and creatine and certain things that are just going to metabolize to create muscle if you do the work same thing for the brain it's just that these are the nutrients that do that for the brain mm. and then the other thing that doesn't hurt is practicing the other brain care behaviors so something that we do at heights a lot is talk about you know yes nutrition's important yes you can get it from your food and we still think that you should do that instead of taking a supplement the clues in the name um i have yet to meet someone Actually, I'd say the person closest uh, that I've ever met that's, uh, that actually does eat well enough to potentially not take the supplement is actually Dr. Tara Swartz. She's mm. extremely good with her diet, very bougie with it. You know, she's <laughs> organic everything. Yeah. Grass-fed. Insane variety in yeah. the lunchbox. Absolutely. And it's, you know, she, I mean, she's literally got a PhD in neuropharmacology. I mean, if she's not eating the perfect brain-friendly diet, then who is? But yeah. she still takes the supplement every single day because her point of view on this stuff is you actually can't have too much. Um, 
you know, she's got an extremely sharp mind and that's really important to yeah, her, right? And to excrete these things unless they're in ridiculous quantities, correct. unless you're massively correct. overdosing on them. Yeah, and Sophie always talks about this. Drinking a bottle of Heights and you probably wouldn't do that. Correct. Sophie, Sophie also always says this, which is your body's pretty smart. Like, there, you know, if you're taking too much, it'll just excrete what it doesn't need. doesn't matter. But if you're depleting it and not giving it enough, it's very hard to get the symptoms and tell you that you don't have it. And things are so insidious as well, like what happened with yourself. You know, you don't notice... Yeah. it's a slow decline yeah. into something and yeah. then it can be very difficult to find that the cause like you like your mm. story literally is the case and point of that isn't it you have to go through five different medical professionals yeah. and and that's very difficult and any anyone who's uh, very eager-eyed or, or sharp-eared will have noticed that i'm being sponsored by heights for this series and so big thanks for that but from my point of view being a medical professional i was very careful to make sure i was really on board with what heights do and i really am yeah, and course. i think you know, all the science that you guys have have done and, and the and the work that you do and it, it's exactly that for me it's an insurance policy like yeah. i'm not perfect yeah. i'm living a very busy life and i try hard and i try and eat vegetarian and plant-based a lot of the time and i feel like you then reduce some of your other vitamins as well and it for me it just fits really nicely into my lifestyle and i've noticed the difference so i would fully recommend it yeah, thank you. And I, I think that's exactly it. I think insurance policy is exactly how I see it. But also, you know, I'm vegetarian. It's super hard. And there's two approaches to be if you're vegetarian or vegan. One is really aggressive to everyone else and tell them that you definitely have the perfect <laughs> diet. There's no problems with your diet whatsoever. Or two, accepting that, yes, you can get everything from, your, from a vegetarian or vegan diet. It's just that you're not going to. Yeah, in, it's hard work. Yes, you can do those things 100%. But like in your daily life, or speaking from my own experience, I do not do that. Mm. So why would I pretend that I'm personally doing that just because it is possible to do that? And mm. this is the big disconnect from people who are vegan or vegetarian like predominantly is that because they can have everything, they think they are getting everything. And that is a poor, for some reason, a poor... Uh, disconnect in the education about the reality and to your point what happens and this is what happened to me your body starts to send alarm signals which is saying I'm not getting what I need and it's subtle at first you know you can't sleep one night but it becomes chronic and it becomes a big problem and this is why it's really interesting so many of our customers who do experience some kind of mental health experience right anxiety stress obviously insomnia would be an extreme one mild depression, whatever the thing might be, a lot of customers in their reviews have had a very quick and impactful experience with heights um, have had those symptoms. Mm. And that's a big difference between saying, if you have anxiety, take our supplement, it'll solve it. It's like, no, I have no idea if it'll solve it. No. It definitely can't hurt. I'll say that but much. But you're seeing a sure. wide picture, right? 100%. And this is the thing, right? As in, if you are clinically depressed like, you know, taking heights is not going to hurt. Is it going to solve it? I don't know. It really depends on what caused your depression. You are definitely mm. better off going to see a therapist first. But my experience, again, with insomnia is I could have 100% have done this at the same time as all of the other interventions. They're completely complementary. And at the end of the day, the brain is a symptom, right? As a system. Mm. So it has biological inputs and nutritional inputs as much as it has psychological inputs. And mm. it's not just my opinion this is just common sense yeah but common sense that we don't think about much yeah so definitely. that's why i find it really interesting that these things do connect mm. um and i find it interesting as well so many of our customer base so much of our customer base is doctors uh, medical professionals i should say um we just had a review from a doctor um it was really funny because they, they often start the same way and this one did and we now have an internal banter about these things which is <laughs> they, they start as a doctor, I was skeptical at first. <laughs> Pretty much every doctor that's one of our customers starts with, as a doctor. And you're like, oh, here we go. They're going to tell us that they were skeptical and didn't think it worked, but they're surprised it does, etc. And they all follow the same pattern. It's yeah. quite funny. Yeah, they've yeah. literally got like a little, little routine of it. Yeah, 100%. It's like, they're all just copying and pasting each other's reviews. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking us through what Heights do. And it's been a really interesting conversation hearing about your own personal experiences and how you shape them into a positive with Heights. And uh, you know, like I said, I'm loving what you're doing. So keep up the good work. Um, I, follow, I finish every podcast with one question. Um, that is the same each time so what's your one best bit of advice to someone out there looking to improve their health and happiness and you can't say buy heights yeah right <laughs> so I have, I have I do have a big belief that all all health starts in your brain 
So whatever that version of what you're thinking is, you know, whether that's nutrition, whether that's exercise, etc., everything starts and ends in your brain. This is, you know, why it's not medical advice that it might not specifically be true, but from what I understand it to be, you know, that's your control center. So if you take care of the number one most important organ, you're going to find that you take care of the rest of your body. Um, I do think that, you know, having a healthy, happy life is all about taking time to choose what your priorities are. If you, for example, let your diary run you and you make no space whatsoever for sleep, for movement, and I'm not talking about, you know, um, becoming Arnie and doing, you know, hit and weightlifting and all stuff. I'm just talking about simple movement, like moving, like getting outside for a walk in nature in a park for half an hour every day. Like, I'm talking about simple things that will give you energy. If you don't find time in your diary to do these things every day, and I do mean every day or certainly as often as you possibly can, your health generally declines. Mm. And it's subtle at first, but over a period of time, these subtleties compound. And so mm. this is the power of compound interest, you know, as an entrepreneur, I have to bring that up, which is things compound downwards or things compound upwards. Um, it's happened to me. Obviously, I've had the compounding downwards a few times. Um, the downstream consequence of that is a great lesson you learn and you try to course correct. But for me, wellness is all about, um, you know, prevention. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's why I find wellness such an interesting concept. Obviously, we're going through a bit of a wellness revolution in general, which I think is so good. The problem is sometimes it's not quantifiable. Illness is very quantifiable and curing an illness is very quantifiable. Was someone sick? Did I help them stop being sick? That's <clears> what the medical profession's about. And obviously, healthcare is more sick care, right? So it's actually helping people stop being sick. What well-being and wellness is all about is saying, okay, imagine you were never sick because you did these few things. And for me, it's understanding what those few things are, prioritizing them into your calendar, making sure that your day looks like you've given yourself enough space to have some basic wellness practices mm. and that you commit to doing them every day. And hopefully if you do those things, you'll find yourself eating well, feeling great, being motivated, being happy. You're never going to avoid stress. It's not the point. The point is not to avoid everything. The point is to give yourself the best chance to be able to take on what life has to throw at you. So mm. for me, it's about uh, prioritizing what you do on a daily basis and seeing how that compounds to a healthy life. It's a great answer. And I think that's what you're about to go and do now, isn't it? Like you're not necessarily doing a, a, a typical wellness practice, but you're about to go and have bath time that you've told me about before mm. the conversation with your daughter, which is a big part in your schedule now since you've become a dad, which I think is amazing. But that's connecting with someone that's really important to you. So wellness mm. is, yes, doing all of the typical health things, movement, all that, but particularly from a mental health scape, um, from a mental health angle, it's about connection and really seeking connection in certain things. So whether or not that's a person, whether or not that's with nature or with your food or whatever it is, mm. you know, that's really important. So actually what's really interesting is I connect bath time with my daughter as my mindfulness practice. Um, Amazing. The reason I do that is because uh, as a... As a as a, a CEO, obviously everything has its own little system and, and plan. So I wrote myself out a plan a year ago about, you know, what I do in a day and everything else. Now, up until my daughter was born, I was meditating almost every day, you know, 10, 20 minutes a day. It took me literally years of practice to get to that point. It was so frustrating getting to the point of having a habit every day of doing it. And I had actually managed to keep pretty much a daily habit for four years or something. So it was amazing. Daughter's born, habits out the window, find it really hard to get back. And of course, every time I'm trying, she's crying or something, right? So I was like, you know what? I, I just don't have the time. And also I'm finding this really frustrating. I'm going to switch up meditation as my mindful practice. And I'm going to just make my mindful practice time with my daughter. And actually what children want is attention. Mm. And if you give them, and, and mindfulness is about giving something attention. Mm. At the end of the day, what I was choosing to give attention was my peace and my thoughts and my silence and whatever else was what I was choosing as my form of mindfulness. But by forgiving myself and saying, you know what, give up on that one. It's not working right now. I am going to let go, which is hard. Um, mm. Because I also have a story of myself, right? I have a story of I built up a, a daily meditation I'm practice meditator, that took me years. Yeah. I am a meditator at last. Yeah. It took me long <laughs> enough. Um, I have to throw that away. I'm not a meditator anymore, but I'm not going to throw away a mindful practice. My mindful practice is spending time with my daughter 
it's her and me, we connect, it's like half an hour, and I'm so present in it that, you know, I feel amazing afterwards, and it's fun, and she's obviously, whether she's aware that I'm doing it or not, I like to think that she is, so a lot of these things as well, which I think is a really good message, I hope, to share with other people, a lot of these things, of course, are, you know, how you label something and what it means to you is quite important too, and so if you can find and connect something that you want to be doing on a regular basis with how it connects to a wellness practice, you actually start to feel those kind of benefits logically Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, amazing. I think we'll wrap up there. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, mate.